0: Hey there, it's PNN, it's Sunday, July 18, 2021, and I'm your host, Burke Hines. We have an entire show for you tonight, Uh, Justice Report, Jenny Moloff, talking about her, she's putting together some puzzle pieces having to do with uh, January 6th. And how the GOP and Trump are working together. She's going to put that all together for you in the Justice Report. I've got someone who you're familiar with if you listen to the show, Space Coast Caller, who is also a First Amendment enthusiast and hobbyist. Uh, Studied First Amendment media law in college, is practicing in another area, but has lots to say about what's been going on with the White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, talking about how they're going to be reaching into our SMS messages and, uh, you know, be throwing us off social media for wrong things. So I've got that coming right up. So uh, hang on. Tell us a little bit about just what is baseline First Amendment? What does that mean to a, a normal person?
1: Okay, so, I mean, the, the, the amendment itself says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances where people involved in internet discussion usually get tangled up is discussing the difference between government prohibitions on speech and private prohibitions so the amendment applies all of the bill of rights applies to limitations on what the government can do so for example if some private entity uh, you know disallows some kind of communication or speech even based on its content they most of the time can do that because they're not the government. So this this comes up all the time, and there's a whole meme about it that, you know, don't complain if uh, you say something that makes you unpopular or gets you fired from your job, uh, because that's not the government interfering, and the First Amendment really doesn't come into play.
0: So one of the things that has prompted this discussion is uh, the press secretary Jen Psaki uh, going out. This week and talking about all of these various different ways that uh, the White House wants to uh, interfere with basic speech among regular old citizens on social media and even in our SMS messages. (laughs) And this has caused quite a bit of concern, uh, both on the left and the right, uh, amongst people who are fans of the First Amendment. So a couple of the steps that we have, um, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create Robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. you shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you for, uh, uh providing misinformation out there, taking faster action against harmful posts. What is your take on this Gensaki stuff?
1: Yeah, people should be concerned. Uh, she's leapt right over a bright line in all the first amendment jurisprudence that we have for the last you know 70 years or something like that first of all uh, this is the government now uh, and this is hugely different for example if facebook or twitter want to say we're kicking off this person we're kicking off that person and it is at least theoretically a private business decision there's no law in the book suggesting that they can't do that even if it's based on content but as we just discussed the government can't and for the white house to be announcing That they're going to be, you know, however they put it, quote unquote, consulting or red flagging um, again, quote unquote, misinformation, which indicates they're talking about the content of speech. Right. Uh, And there's I saw some discussion online recently where people get their shoelaces tangled up a little bit about, well, there's lots of speech that we disallow and the government disallows things like threats, uh, insurrection against the government extortion. You know handing the bank teller a robbery note those are all called verbal acts and we have specific bodies of law addressing those things what you normally can't do and what the government is, has expressly cannot do is prohibit speech just based on its content the ideas therein uh, and in particular political speech or anything that touches on politics as opposed to say commercial speech
0: the ideas therein, right, and that is specifically what Saki was going after.
1: Well, when you use the word misinformation, that—that's what I worry about because misinformation is, you know, somebody else's information. You know, the fact that it's wrong or not is subject to a lot of discussion and debate. And the stuff around COVID, as you know, has a wild history of what people think is true and what people think is not true. And, and I share the concerns. That you know, people need to get the right information and be careful and all of that, uh, but just just looking at the history of what the government and the CDC have said since the beginning of the pandemic, it's all over the map. I mean, a, a few months ago they were telling us double masks were a good idea. At one point we were hearing that you didn't need a mask, then that you didn't need it if you were uh, vaccinated, and you know now we're hearing oh whoops we shouldn't have taken the masks off over the Fourth of July weekend because everybody's you know getting COVID again.
0: And as it relates to healthcare workers, they were told that they didn't need PPE, you know. And people were bringing trash bags to the hospital because they weren't provided PPE, and they were told they didn't need PPE. And then it turns out they did need PPE. And then we were told that uh, the the COVID couldn't be. Uh, Uh, airborne, that it couldn't be, that that the whole issue of whether it was transmitted Had to be physical contact, we thought. Exactly. And And then we
1: thought it had to be physical contact with objects, and they've completely reversed that and said, no, you probably almost can't get it from touching a package. Do you remember washing groceries? We did that in our house.
0: Big I am pain. so <laughs> over washing the groceries. Well, the advice changed, it's, right? Because mm-hmm. then they said contact transmission
1: probably isn't a thing. It really is mostly airborne transmission in enclosed spaces is what they think. You know, an air conditioning system in a restaurant, for example. So things, what's information and what's misinformation has changed on almost a daily basis on this pandemic. But that just underlines the fact that when you're talking about the government restricting an idea a thought that's the thing they most cannot do and that's just compounded by the fact that when we're talking about this pandemic it's really been unclear what the right information is so if we're going to crack down on misinformation it's a very tricky proposition even setting aside first amendment concerns because there hasn't been widespread agreement or consistent agreement on what the right information is and i use sarcastic air quotes uh you know since the beginning of the
0: pandemic. Right. And one of the things that I've talked about on the show, which just drives me crazy, is that science is never finished. And what they seem to be asserting is that we know science. Here it is. It's all finished. There's no need for discussion. (laughs) And any scientist will tell you that or anyone who does research will tell you, we don't come up with the final thing. We come up with hypotheses. We test those hypotheses. Then we see if they can be repeated. And then we talk about them in peer reviewed journals and, and amongst ourselves. And then the public gets to talk about it. The scientific method is a broad conversation that never an ends. An open
1: conversation, right?
0: You can't have science without an open conversation.
1: Right. So, I mean, and, and that really just compounds the fact that what uh, Saki was suggesting is. You know, the thing that the government can't do the most, the the thing they can't do the most is prior restraint on political speech. Query as to whether some of this pandemic talk is uh, political. Obviously, there have been, you know, political implications and politicization of the issue. But setting all that aside, one, it's a tricky thing to even determine what's the correct information. And number two, it's pretty well established that the government can't do by proxy what it can't do directly. In other words, if the White House is going to tell Facebook and Twitter throw all the people off that are saying X, Y, Z about the pandemic and don't let them speak, they are crossing that line. Uh, And we don't know, and I think people suspect, how long the government's been, quote unquote, consulting with these platforms and perhaps banning people based on other advice, based again on their content, which again is the thing that the government really cannot do Think about misinformation in any other context. You and I probably remember the Iraq War very well. WMDs. WMD, and remember all the all the charges leveled by sober government sources against anyone questioning that. Uh, this was the New York Times telling us that you know nuclear weapons were being built and this and that, and we go over there and we find out that they don't uh, they don't exist or they didn't exist at that time. Imagine if the White House uh, today, if a similar situation arose. And they're going to be, quote unquote, consulting with Facebook and Twitter and all of these to tell them, well, it's very dangerous for people to be questioning, you know, our findings of WMD in whatever country that we're going to go to war with on this basis. This is very chilling stuff. This is the government saying we're going to silence whole swaths of people by deciding what, when, when you hear that word misinformation, that's the problem. They're not talking about threats of violence. They're not talking about extortion or bribery or overthrowing the government, the things that you clearly cannot do because they constitute crimes or threaten physical harm. When you just conflate everything that's bad as misinformation, that's highly subjective. And what you're doing is the government is uh, giving itself the power to just silence whole broad sections of thought based on what they today uh, consider to be dangerously misinformed. And you're and, never going to nail that down in any kind
0: of reliable way. So it's it's
1: kind of nuts.
0: And it's totally dependent on content. Sure, it's dependent on knowing the content. And just today, Edward Snowden tweeted out about a new program that nobody knew about until today, called Pegasus, that has been uh, used to assassinate journalists in uh, Mexico.
1: The Guardian has a piece. Out the here, Guardian right? has a piece, yeah. and so
0: he was he was promoting that. So. And, and Saki talked about working with uh, SMS carriers. So you mean text to, messages? To text messages. That's terrifying. That is terrifying.
1: And, and by the way, I don't mean to—I don't mean to sound too uh, alarmist or anti-government or anything like that. That's not where I'm coming from. But uh, there, we know from Snowden and others that there is there is existing infrastructure to look at your text messages. And I have a little anecdote. Uh, years ago, uh, someone that I worked with. Is uh, A teenage son and another teenager were having a silly conversation late at night, and one of them made a, a, an ill-advised stupid joke about bombing the Statue of Liberty because they were going to New York, and they thought that was funny. Uh, it was one text, uh, and the police showed up at the recipient of that text message's door at 4 o'clock in the morning.
0: Not the deliverer, not, the recipient.
1: Not the Yeah, not the person who made the ill-advised joke about bombing the Statue of Liberty. They were totally kidding. These were kids. The kid that sent it was on his way to join up for the army, I think. They were certainly not terrorists of any kind. And the, my coworker ended up speaking to this guy, the, the sheriff's department, at 4 o'clock in the morning on his front lawn about this message that his son received. So I, I don't mean to, again, to sound uh, paranoid or alarmist, but we know that the structure is in place to look at keywords, uh, to grab text messages. And it's one thing to try to prevent you know bombings, uh, acts of violence, But based on what Saki said, it sounds like, you know, there's at least a possibility if you're communicating disapproved messaging on the pandemic, uh, someone's going to be shutting you down. Uh, And if they can shut you down, uh, you know, they can come knock on your door. It's very, very alarming. And it, it broad jumps over huge bright lines that we've established over what the government can and cannot do in terms of restricting speech.
0: Let me introduce this additional piece of information. Um, Matt Taibbi has been following a story about censorship on YouTube and on censored, uh, on on censored YouTube, on, on YouTube and on social media. So it's an issue of censorship that he's been following. It's a, a, a biologist by the name of Brett Weinstein he has a brother, Eric Weinstein, who I think is a, a little bit more well-known. But Brett Weinstein does a, a podcast with his wife called Dark Horse. And on that, they have had the inventor of mRNA vaccines, and they've been talking about the origins of COVID. They've been talking about the uh, efficacy of the vaccines and the, and the repercussions of the vaccines. And YouTube has shut them down. And so he's he's gone to a, another platform. Uh, this this is wait, was a huge thing for him and his family because that's where they got all their money. Their their income was all from monetization of their YouTube channel. Well, they had two YouTube channels, but anyway. So so they've they've moved on to another platform. And here's Matt Taibbi uh, uh, telling the story of that. And this is a uh, from his Substack a piece called. If private platforms use government's guidelines to police content, is that state censorship? And it's right there in in the title. Uh, He goes on the subhead is YouTube's decision to demonetize podcaster Brett Weinstein raises serious questions about both the First Amendment and regulatory capture. And then in this piece, the the most important uh, two paragraphs in it is this. He says, this is Matt Taibbi talking. He says, when I contacted YouTube about Weinstein two weeks ago, I was told, quote, in general, we rely on guidance from our local and global health authorities, FDA, CDC, NHS, etc cetera, in developing our COVID-19 misinformation policies, unquote. Taibbi continues, the question is, how active is that guidance? Is YouTube acting in consultation with these bodies in developing those moderation policies? As Weinstein notes, an answer in the affirmative would likely make theirs a true First Amendment problem with an agency like the CDC, not only setting health public policy, but also affecting, effectively setting guidelines for private discussion of those policies.
1: Absolutely. That's just what, that uh, encapsulates just what we were talking about. And I agree completely with that assessment. That's the problem. You know, if the government's going to be identifying information that it considers unacceptable uh, to private platforms and causing them to, uh, and I remember uh, part of Saki's speech was, let's make sure people are banned from all platforms if they're being banned. So this is, if the government's going to quote unquote consult, and have platforms remove people on the basis of the content of what they're saying because, according to the government, it's not factually accurate. That they, that is that is that which the government cannot do. That is the the core of First Amendment uh, of First Amendment law. And you're also talking about there a thing called prior restraint, uh, which is uh, what happened with the Pentagon Papers. That whole discussion was the government government gets wind of. Something information that's going to be given out that it doesn't want given out and basically takes legal measures to stop it. Uh, And that, of course, was about government leaks regarding the the Vietnam War. uh, And at least was there was the slightly trickier issue of how classified materials were received and so forth. Here we're just talking about people just stating, you know, publicly available opinions uh, the government classifying that as misinformation and then potentially having them removed from the public discourse. They, I, I would opine, and I have read a lot of First Amendment case law, I would opine that that is, by definition, the thing that the government can't do. And you don't want them doing that. Like I said, what's the next piece of misinformation that's going to be deemed unacceptable? It could be any policy issue. It could be, you know, all of a sudden there's a big discussion about what's going on in Cuba. What's to stop the government uh, under uh, Misaki's, you know, recent announcement from saying, well, you can't say certain things about that. and We're just going to red flag information and, uh, and have it removed from social media platforms. It's very dangerous. Uh, and in my opinion, if that was brought before any kind of right thinking Supreme Court, it'd be uh, knocked on its butt. You can't do that.
0: Well, and the administration itself would run afoul of their own misinformation policies if they were to be totally honest. I mean, uh, Kamala Harris on CNN, on State of the Union, on CNN said, quote, There is very little we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. So, no, I would not trust his word and I would not take his vaccine. When asked by CNN's Dana Bash, whether she would trust a vaccine coming out of the Trump administration. Uh, And then here's the quote. Bash says, let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? And Kamala Harris says, well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. I would say that I would not trust Donald Trump. I will not take his word for it. Now, she wasn't the only one who said that. Uh, Joe Biden Uh, said something very similar. Uh, He said, uh, Joe Biden questioned the Trump administration's process for approving a coronavirus vaccine while expressing broad confidence in vaccines and the scientists who create them. But his quote was, I trust vaccines. I trust the scientists, but I don't trust Donald Trump. So the implication is he wouldn't take a you wouldn't trust a Donald Trump vaccine. Now, this was repeated and repeated and repeated. Lawrence Tribe, uh, Joy Ann Reed, Katie Hill, David Jolly, Andrew Cuomo, over and over again. All of these luminaries of the liberal establishment were all saying the same thing. And this reminds me so much of what we read in Time Magazine uh, a while back about the secret cabal to bring down donald trump it was this big article about this where they were touting a conspiracy to bring down donald trump and they said that uh it sounds like a paranoid fever dream i'm reading from time magazine right now a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions change rules and laws steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. That's what they were doing. That is exactly what they were doing about the vaccine to create vaccine hesitancy. That whole bunch of, you know, these Democrats that are all about trust science and all of this other stuff, that is what they were doing. And they were doing it with a political motive because they thought it would hurt Donald Trump.
1: Sure. I mean, I think a fair amount of, Uh, you know, the great regard that's given to this idea of misinformation misleading the public is projection. Uh, You know, it's become an industry in America to create uh, troll armies and bot farms for social media. And this is being sold for political purposes. I think you probably, I remember on one of your shows, you talked about going to some kind of convention in Death Valley, and there were all kinds of uh, young Democrats out there, Promising election results on the basis of, you know, social media engineering. So some of the fear that's being expressed, I think, is a direct projection from the political types who are right now trying to rely on the idea that you can put certain information out on social media and, you know, deeply affect public opinion with it. So yeah, they speak with forked tongue, and as you point out, if. The other thing that is sort of inherent in all the the First Amendment protections is, you know this wouldn't be enforced uh, evenly or fairly. Uh, They're not going to kick Kamala Harris off of Twitter because she once said she wouldn't trust a vaccine that came out under Donald Trump. That's just not going to happen. Uh, But if somebody comes out today and says something that the administration deems misinformation, what she's suggesting is they're going to be banned across all platforms And therein lies the problem. It immediately becomes political. It immediately becomes subjective. And you just have people being silenced because someone in the right position disagrees with them.
0: The politicization is baked into the cake.
1: It's already there. Right. It's already there. And, you know, people need to think, you know, everyone gets all excited to silence someone who's saying stuff that really bothers them and fails to stop and think how they're going to feel. When that's turned around and used against them, what if the Trump administration, which I, you know, uh, deeply disagreed with in every single possible way, uh, didn't do this? Although I understand maybe behind the scenes uh, Trump wanted to, uh, what if, what if the Trump administration had gone after everything that they considered disinformation and managed to get social media platforms to kick those people off? All the dissent against what they were doing would have been silenced. This is why this is such a dangerous, dangerous black hole to step into. When you start saying that the government's going to decide what's quote-unquote misinformation and silence people in the private sphere, you you are opening the door to absolute authoritarian control of information, and I don't think that's hyperbolic. That's going to happen immediately. Immediately, people who are speaking the truth are going to be silenced, and people who are giving out misinformation are going to continue to be elevated, uh, because that whole idea doesn't work. That's why we have the First Amendment. You can't have the government deciding what's truth and what's not. That is Orwellian. <laughs> that is what 1984 was talking about. And it's it's not a leap. It's a very short step from the things that Saki was saying, and just having the government decide
0: who can speak. And thank you so much, Space Coast Caller, for joining us today. There was a little bit of uh, noise at the very, very end, and I did my very, very best to remove that noise carefully in audition. Uh, it seems like our neighbor decided to build a deck, like just in the middle of while we're talking. Anyway, sorry about that. And hold on. And we'll have Janine Maloff up next. And we're here today with Jidney and Maloff with the Justice Report. Uh, this week we're talking about the ongoing treason of the G- GOP and Trump from uh, the January 6th insurrection to collective efforts, it seems, for the GOP to create a furor. Janine, what's mm-hmm. going on? I, th- this, this idea is really uh, intriguing.
2: It, well, it is. Um, I was just kind of scrolling through, you know, a variety of publications, and I saw some information about the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, You know, really being quoted in several books about his absolute deep dread that Donald Trump was going to try and pull off not only an illegal and unconstitutional, but a violent coup to stay in office, whether it meant starting a war with Iran or uh, starting a nuclear war and Pelosi's concern as well. And so I'm just going to get started in this because this is a story. It isn't just one thing. That's what people need to remember. This is something that has multiple tentacles because they the GOP has been playing a lot of dirty tricks. So here we go. So this starts with the proposed investigative commission of the January 6th insurrection. As we know, it was stalled in the Senate by the filibuster. Now, the vote, as we know, was, I, I believe, don't quote me, was something like 53 Democrats voting yes and a few Republicans to 35 Republicans voting no and we would have won all right the Dems would have won the vote and the commission would actually be investigating the events of January 6th the insurrection um, but the Republicans served notice and used the procedural filibuster now people listening need to remember something we're not talking to reiterate, we're not talking about the talking filibuster. This is not the Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Washington, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment where he's fighting for a democracy and, and he just keeps talking until he drops. We're not talking about ending that. We're talking about the procedural filibuster, which was a Senate rule that was started in 1917 and it was used by white supremacists to prevent any sort of civil rights legislation And it only takes one Republican to just basically write on a piece of paper, I intend to filibuster, and boom, everything comes to a grinding halt. All right, that's all it is. Now, my own U.S. senators from Missouri, Josh Hawley, for instance, voted predictably against the filibuster. And by now the world recalls Holly's, you know, fist bump of rabid approval to known Nazi groups like the Proud Boys on that day, especially January 6th. But the world doesn't know much about good old Roy Blunt. Now, Blunt's excuse was, um, first of all, Blunt didn't actually vote that day. So when it came down to the vote for um, the vote for the January 6th commission, vote yay or nay, Roy Blunt was absent. And his excuse was that it was too soon for an investigation of January 6th. That's it. Now, you have to remember, that's really convenient for good old Roy Blunt because he is a top leadership member. He's a member of the National GOP Leadership Group. I believe he's number four. And, you know, once again, this is something that Roy Blunt enabled the the insurrection, enabled the cover-up of the insurrection, but he did so by avoiding the vote and then arguing it was too soon for such a commission. Now, it's that level of moral cowardice that's coupled with the overt criminality of the present GOP of Trump that basically led us to this dire moment led us to the January 6th insurrection, which was not a tourist event, as Representative Mo Brooks or Senator Ron Johnson claims. It was a violent attempt to overthrow the government. Keep in mind, on that day, these protesters, these alleged protesters, these insurrections came, as you're going to find later in this report, heavily armed. They committed breaking and entering at a felony level. They committed multiple acts of assault and battery at a felony level. They intended, they verbally stated, they intended to commit murder. They went hunting for humans. They erected a functional gallows. There's no guesswork here. And, you know, once again, people died, including a few of the insurrectionists. And now the GOP's trying, along with Roy Blunt's trying to cover it up by saying it was too soon. Now the reason we're re- the reason we're talking about this now is because if we don't prosecute not only the insurrectionist, but if we don't have a full criminal investigation of everyone that aided and abetted, and there is evidence that's leaked out that members of the GOP, office holders as well as GOP donors, helped plan, helped finance this insurrection then more will happen this is not rocket science it's the truth and it's dangerous and the fact is we have this entrenched corruption and nazism within the gop and it's aided and abetted by alleged moderates like roy blunt he is just as guilty as donald trump now so we're going to get into this all right but again to reiterate there is, what the audience doesn't realize is that moderates, alleged moderates, people like Roy Blunt, who is in a position of high power within the GOP, there's nothing that happens in D.C. allegedly that Roy Blunt doesn't touch from the shadows. And I, sus- I believe that Roy Blunt rightfully suspects that a full investigative commission would uncover not only the obvious insurrectionists, and their most likely political enablers, such as Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Mo Brooks, Ron Johnson, and others, who had also revealed the role of senior GOP officials like himself steering events as others do the actual dirty work. Again, this is a theory. So let's look at the evolving evidence that the January 6th insurrection was not only planned, but endorsed, aided, and possibly financed by the GOP leadership and top GOP donors. So, among my documents, first we have from this Friday, July 16th, a piece by Jason Easley. And the, uh, the headline is Adam Schiff confirms concerns Trump tried to overthrow government with FBI and CIA takeover. And so there was a video of, of Representative Schiff on MTP Daily. And, you know, Schiff is talking, so we're not talking directly about just about the insurrection, we're talking about Trump's attempts and the GOP allowing him to do this, to uh, basically um, install loyalists and overthrow the government on multiple levels, all right, so that he can basically seat himself as dictator. So Representative Adam Schiff confirmed that the Joint Chief, the Chair of the Joint Chief, General Mark Milley, had concerns about Trump installing loyalists to overthrow the government. And here's what Schiff had to say. Quote, oh, absolutely, we were concerned about it, but it's because it's exactly what they did with other intelligence agencies, probably no agency was more devastated than the office of the director of national intelligence when you had Dan Coats forced out of his position because he was speaking the truth about Russian interference. Yeah, you heard that. He was speaking the truth about North Korea and its nuclear missile programs, notwithstanding the love letters between Donald Trump and the Korean dictator, and they were replaced. McGuire was ultimately replaced because our committee was briefed on Russian interference with political hacks like Rick Grinnell and others who were were put in positions of responsibility, like Kash Patel, that they had no business being in. And so this was also what happened at the Defense Department. It's not a surprise. And that there were concerns about a change at CIA and an FBI. I might add all these things were a grave concern to us, end quote. Thank Usually U.S. reps don't go on the record like that, but he did. Um, And the pieces of the Trump coup plot came together. According to this piece by Jason Easley, who is the managing director of the White House press pool and a congressional correspondent for Politics USA, according to this Easley piece, Donald Trump allegedly not only, quote, funded, coordinated, and incited the attack on the Capitol, but his moves that at the time looked bizarre when he filled places like the Department of Defense with loyalists, make more sense now. Trump was inciting the violence, which would stop the certification of the election, and military and intelligence communities, he thought, would help him stay in power with the coup. The former president lost an election and tried to stay in power by taking over federal law enforcement and the military. Trump should be criminally charged for his plot to overthrow the government. He committed a crime against the United States, and he must be punished. And the plot to overthrow the government, again, this came from Politics USA by Jason Easley. Uh, and again, um, you know, Easley is also a member of the Society of Professional Journalists, and the American Political Science Association. So that's part of it right there. But it gets more explosive. From Salon, John Skolnick wrote a piece. Uh, again, it was published just this uh, last Friday. The headline is Former Trump Official, GOP Now a Bigger National Security Threat Than ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Russia. The Republican Party is the number one security national threat to the United States of America. That's the headline. So this was a former Trump administration official that was actually documented in Business Business Insider. And he called the Republican Party the nation's number one national security threat. Um, And this was from former Department of Homeland Security official Miles Taylor, who worked in the Trump administration. To quote Miles Taylor, he said, quote, I've spent my whole career not as a political operative. I've never worked on a campaign in my life other than campaigning against Trump. I'm a national security guy. I've worked in national security against ISIS, al-Qaeda, and Russia. And then, end quote. And then Taylor added, quote, and the number one national security threat I've ever seen in my life to this country's democracy is the party that I'm in the Republican Party, it's the number one national security threat to the United States of America, end quote. Then Miles Taylor, again, this is a DHS former, um, he's a DHS, former DHS official and a Republican. Then Miles Taylor specifically called out and condemned the actions and the rhetoric of House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And he warned that if McCarthy were to become Speaker of the House, quote, Trump's hand would be on that speaker's gavel. McCarthy went on to say, quote, if Kevin McCarthy continues to pay homage to a twice-impeached presidential loser, it should give all Americans pause and make them worry about the future of this country and national security, End quote. So it is fair to say, according to this piece, that Taylor has been a steady opponent of Trump's um, hold on the Republican Party He did uh, launch an anti Trump GOP group named uh, Republican Voters Against Trump, and that was as documented by CNBC, and he did that last year. He also formed the Republican Political Alliance for Integrity and Reform, which is another Never Trump group, uh, and that was as documented by NBC News. All right. While Taylor was in government, he claims to have witnessed Trump personally offer. Department of Homeland Security staff, quote, pardons if they were to be criminally prosecuted for actions that violated immigration law, prompting the GOP official to formally resign from his post in 2019. And that was as documented by Forbes.com, hardly a liberal publication. Then a year later, Taylor um, set about to explain why he decided not to speak uh, in a PBS NewsHour interview. Quote, if I had come out and talked about Donald Trump a year ago when I left the administration, he's a master of distraction. He would have buried it within a day, and it wouldn't have mattered to voters. Uh, End quote. And Taylor added, quote, but right now, American voters are reviewing the president's resume. So I think there's there's no more important time for me or other ex-Trump officials. To come out and actually talk about what the experience was inside the administration and what kind of man sat behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. End quote. And then last year in October, Taylor did admit, as documented by Newsweek.com, Taylor admitted to being the anonymous author. Quote of a tell-all op-ed detailing internal resistance within the Trump administration. So basically, Miles Taylor must be the Bunker Boy that has been reported that allegedly Trump wanted to basically have hunted down and executed. All right. So, you know, once again, this gives you more insight into not only the insanity of Donald Trump, but the criminality of Donald Trump and the GOP that supports him, including Kevin McCarthy, including Roy Blunt, all of them. Except the ones that definitely came out and were open about it. So now we're going to, that's part of this scenario. We're going to go to another part of the scenario. This is a piece from um, progressive, albeit Harvey Wasserman. It came from BuzzFlash. And this piece here, the uh, headline is 30 Ways the Trump Fascistic Assault on Democracy Threatens Us All. Okay, And this really is a piece detailing why We must stop the GOP in its rush to neo-Nazism, and we have to stop them now. Okay? So we're going to get into that right now. Excuse me. Had to take a little drink there. Not in good voice today. So this was uh, published just the other day. And to, I'm just going to quote directly. So to quote Harvey Wasserman, Quote, the Trump death cult has fired up a brutal juggernaut meant to defeat American democracy once and forever. If we do not dismantle it, this nation will never know another real election. Joe Biden has finally spoken out about how serious this is, but history tells us we cannot rely on the corporate Democrats to bring us a fair electoral process, end quote. And he's right. So he talks about basically the real movement to fight for an actual democracy, and it has to come from the streets, from the grassroots, from the net roots. And then he details 30 things that we have to face and battle. First of all, number one, and I'm just going to paraphrase as best I can, number one, that this battle that we're fighting for democracy itself is basically multifaceted. It is not only demographic, red states, blue states, purple states, but it's also based on religious and cultural underpinnings. And that means it's going to be difficult, especially those cultural wars. Number two, uh, Wasserman talks about the upsurge in this group of evangelical Trumpers. And these are people that identify as straight white male Christian patriots. And they are reacting to a growing, a a more diverse country that psychologically they can't handle. All right. They just can't. And so they're, they're just terrified. And so they're willing to fight to the death. And we have to face that fact. These people are incredibly dangerous and half measures won't work. Number three, Wasserman goes on to say that the fight takes on really in what he calls an apocalyptic dimension because it goes way beyond winning one or two elections, and he's right. This really will be, in my opinion, about what kind of nation will be. Will we go down the path of the Third Reich, and that's not hyperbole, it's true, or will we basically create an actual democracy? Okay. Um, he goes on to say also that the old demographic, these white Christian straight males, They have what they've built, what Wasserman calls, quote, a blitzkrieg assault machine that stretches from the courts to the precincts to the militias in a desperate all out attempt to disenfranchise the future, bringing with it levels of fear and ferocity that must not be underestimated, end quote. And he's right. All right. Um, I'm not a person who owns a gun because I'm blind as a bat. And I know that progressives hate the idea of basically learning how to shoot. But you can't underestimate the violence of this. You know, every time uh, a right winger says lock and load, I feel like telling them, you know what, we can do the same. We won't start it, but we'll shoot back. Maybe we need to start taking it. Maybe we need to realize that rhetoric alone won't do that. These people are dangerous and we have a right to self-defense. Don't start it, but it's just a theory. Wasserman goes on to talk about the big lie, which was that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. And in that, Wasserman basically um, says that Trump, quote, Trump mimics Hitlerian Nazis who said they'd won World War I, but were, quote, stabbed in the back by the, I can't pronounce it, the Jews and liberals, end quote. And this is, Trump is taking a page straight from Adolf Hitler. There's no guesswork about it. It's obvious. Um, basically he talks, Wasserman talks about the, the grip on the Supreme court and on the legislatures, that the GOP GOP has been systematically uh, attacking democratic rule. And now it's truly menacing that it's, it's capable of installing, you know, a fascist autocrat and we have to fight this. All right. One way we can do that is yes, we need to pass the Judiciary Act of 21 and expand the Supreme Court while Biden's still in office. That's number one. We also need to root out and defeat Republicans at the state level, including those running for secretary of state. He talks about how there are gerrymandered state legislatures and that these were, you know, Koch-sponsored Republicans. right? And this started in what he called the 2010 Red Map Coup all right he talks about how swing state legislatures have been controlled and that the control of those swing states were engineered in 2010 by guess what carl rove so for republicans try and claim that trump is an anomaly it's not the good republicans like george w bush and ronald reagan hogwash it's all the same and this has been part of the plan and it started back in the 1960s and 70s with the infamous powell memo there's There's nothing new here. Trump is the logical extension of GOP deceit over the decades with the clear intent of destroying Democratic rule. Okay, Wasserman goes on to talk about how Trump fascists could retake the House in 22 through gerrymandering. He talks about how in 2010, corporate Obama Democrats basically remained silent about that de facto coup that had just taken place with gerrymandering. You know, Obama did make us a little crack about how he had taken a shellacking, but he didn't fight it. And so now we're dealing with the fallout. Didn't mean to yell, but I get really hot under the collar on this key victories against gerrymandering. Uh, means installing transparent, multi-partisan districting commissions in California in 2008 and 2010, and in Michigan in 2018. And those victories against gerrymandering, here's this, especially in California, the victories against gerrymandering received strong support from Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they were opposed by alleged progressive Democrat Nancy Pelosi and other corporate Dems something to consider. And I'm no fan of Schwarzenegger, but the truth's the truth. There's control of state legislatures. The GOP has got it. They can overturn future presidential elections by basically um, finding excuses to turn away possible electors, not just the votes that we cast, but the actual electors that go to the electoral college. Wasserman also stated something quite obvious. Um, Basically, he stated that, quote, only paper ballots demanded by election protection activists since Ohio in 2004 provided incontrovertible proof that Trump had been defeated in 2020, end quote. All right. And he goes on to say that if the 2020 election had been primarily conducted on those touchscreen machines, Trump would have won. Not because he received more votes; they would have just flipped the votes, all right. And and in my mind, this is why Trump's people were so against mail-in voting, because it was on paper. And that's the only way we can have an honest election. You know, keep in mind, Burke, you're in Florida in 2000 with W versus Gore. I know of people who lived in Florida; they voted for Al Gore. The machine said. Um, confirm that you're voting for George W. Bush. I'm like, no, I'm voting for Gore. And the machine won't let him do anything else. Because, again, those touchscreen machines, when it comes to the technology, they are no more complex than the average ATM. They can be very easily hacked. Okay? And, again, we've got all these anti-democracy efforts against vote-by-mail. because vote-by-mail is paper ballots um, against having enough precincts, food and water for those that are standing in line for hours on end, same-day registration, souls to the polls, bringing ballots to the polls, you know, enough time to vote, uh, and so on and so forth. All this trickery and deceit, it starts with Jim Crow, but it ends with anybody who dares disagree with these fascists. You know, I've said many times on the show before that the black community is the political canary in the coal mine. What happens to them, the abuses they suffer first, will eventually be dished out to all the rest of us. We need to listen to our brothers and sisters of color and protect them and defend them. Um, There have been assaults on citizens being able to make changes by referendum. We have one of those laws that have passed here in Missouri making it more difficult to get a, a popular vote referendum. In fact, we had one where the city of St. Louis, this is a different subject, they passed an escalated minimum wage of $15 an hour, just for St. Louis city, nowhere else in Missouri. And the state legislature and the Republican government, both controlled by Republicans, decided to disregard the will of the voters. And then they passed the law saying, nope, You can't do that. It is very clear that the Republicans have no intention of playing fair, no matter what we do. And unless we have a way to prove what we're doing, we won't win, Okay, Corporate Democrats are another part of the problem, all right? It's corporate Democrats that basically also don't want the procedural filibuster to be abolished. You know, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who's very conservative. And she's like, but why would they do that? And I said, well, think about it for a minute. You know, President Biden can make all the pretty speeches in the world and sounded lovely, you know, for the People Act and all this good stuff. But he knows damn well that as long as the filibuster remains intact, the Republicans will issue the procedural filibuster, the Dems won't have the 60 votes, and the corporate dems can pretend that they actually want to do something to defend democracy while still pleasing their corporate donors they'll say well we tried but those bad republicans stopped us knowing full well they've collaborated with them and yes this means senator coons this means senator cinema this means you senator Manchin, especially senator cinema We've also got an anti-democracy majority on the Supreme Court. I'm not saying this because they're conservatives. I'm saying this because this is a fact. And they do support fascist assaults on the rights of youth and citizens of color to vote. Um, Chief Justice John Roberts, we did a show on it just about a week or two ago. He built his career over the, basically, he built his career with the mission in life to dismantle the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And he's come really close to it. You know, on the court, he's helped to dismantle the two parts of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that are enforcement measures, section two and section five. All right. And he does so like his mentor, William Rehnquist, before him, you know, the late judge William Rehnquist used to work as a, um, a poll watcher, and he used to basically attack and intimidate voters of color on a regular basis, and then he was elevated to the court. The Electoral College tilts towards rural Republicans, all right? This has got to stop. The 50 Republican senators today represent 42 million fewer citizens than the 50 Democrats okay so you have a state like montana whose entire population is a little over 500,000 people they get the same two senators as california with 36 million people that's insane okay the idea of this bipartisan balance it's absolutely ludicrous republicans especially in rural republican states have what's called hyper representation we don't need bipartisan balance um, you know, and see, goes on. There's more, but I'm going to move on here. All right, uh, there's some more. Fascist legislators are stripping powers from elected state and local election boards. Okay, and then giving them to gerrymandered legislatures. All right, we know that in Georgia, one of the most dangerous provisions of their voter suppression law that they passed would be that the legislature has the right to basically dismantle uh, public election boards that they don't like. That's setting the stage to cheat. Okay? Again, the For the People Election Reform Bill and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act are stalled by filibuster. And then you have the power of money with Citizens United. That's SCOTUS decision that has really set the stage for billionaires to control everything. And, by the way, money isn't speech. And the fact is, these billionaires, they're allowed to control the airwaves by buying it out. That's not speech. The late Scalia was full of crap. And he knew it. So one thing Harvey Wasserman did say is you can, there's some things you can do. You can join on Monday their grassroots emergency election protection Zoom calls. They take place 5 p.m. Eastern. And also check out what's called the Strip and Flip Disaster of American Stolen Elections by Bob Fetrakis and Harvey Wasserman, which is now being read on the air by Tom Hartman. Um, You can also join them. There is a Dream March for D.C. statehood by Green Jobs and Justice. It's going to take place August 27th through 30th in D.C. and so on and so forth. So we're moving on. So this is how Wasserman is describing this culmination, this perfect storm of, you know, various attacks from the neo-Nazi GOP as they dismantle our rights. Moving on, Tegan Goddard's political wire. Um, And this is basically, this is on the statements made by uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, General Mark Milley. And as the Joint Chiefs Chairman, he exposes Trump and the GOP for the blatant Nazism within their ranks. And he compares Trump to Hitler. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. So basically, the headline is, General Milley said Trump preached, quote, gospel of the Fuhrer. Okay, end quote. So to quote this, this is from um, New York Magazine reporting. Quote, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, likened Donald Trump's efforts to hold on to power after the 2020 election to Adolf Hitler, saying the president was preaching the gospel of the Fuhrer with his lies about the election being stolen, according to a new book by two Washington Post reporters, New York Magazine Reports. Um, Quote, as chronicled in I Alone Can Fix It, by Carol Lenig and Philip Brucker, the Pentagon's top general said shortly before the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol that Trump had led the country to the brink of its own, quote, Reichstag moment, end quote, viewing him as a potential threat to American democracy, end quote. Washington Post reported, quote, Milley described a stomach churning feeling as he Listen to Trump's untrue complaints of election fraud, drawing a comparison to the 1933 attack on Germany's parliament building that Hitler used as a pretext to establish a Nazi dictatorship, end quote. And CNN reported, quote, that Milley was, quote, so shaken that Trump and his allies might attempt a coup or take other dangerous or illegal measures after the November election that Milley and other top officials informally plan for different ways to stop Trump, end quote from CNN. Now from U.S. News and World Report, uh, the headline, article by Paul D. Schinkman. the headline is, Milley confirms Pelosi conversation distances Pentagon from talk of disarming Trump. Army General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Spoke with the House Speaker about her desire to limit and unhinge Trump's powers to declare nuclear war. This is serious. Keep in mind, the president alone has the right to drop the nuclear bomb, and that should not be. So, apparently, General Milley had a conversation with Pelosi, and General Milley confirmed. Okay, confirmed uh, to U.S. News World Report. He confirmed that he had spoken to Speaker Pelosi. About Trump's powers as commander in chief, uh, but then he issued a very carefully crafted statement which distanced the Pentagon um, from any attempts by Speaker Pelosi or other members of Congress to strip the president of some of those powers. Um, so, according to Colonel Dave Butler, a spokesman for General Mark Milley, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He told U.S. News, quote, Speaker Pelosi initiated a call with the chairman. He answered her questions regarding the process of a nuclear command authority, end quote. And so this statement followed a letter that Pelosi sent to Democratic colleagues. Um, She updated them about events the week after the uh, insurrection. And, um, you know, in her letter, Pelosi documented this conversation that she had with Millie earlier um, on that Friday in a section titled, quote, Preventing an Unhinged President from Using the Nuclear Codes, end quote. We shouldn't even ever have to say this, but I'll repeat it. Preventing an Unhinged President from Using the Nuclear Codes. This is so incredibly dangerous. And she did discuss with General Milley, quote, available precautions for preventing an unstable president from initiating military hostilities or accessing the launch codes and ordering a nuclear strike, end quote. Um, To go on, Pelosi wrote, quote, the situation of this unhinged president could not be more dangerous and we must do everything that we can to protect the American people from his unbalanced assault on our country and our democracy, end quote. I'm not a fan of Nancy Pelosi. I think she's basically a fake progressive, to use the term fake. I don't like it. But in this instance, she did her duty and then some. She did, and she was right on target. The idea that you have somebody who is mentally unstable in the Oval Office that could start a nuclear war, which once again would probably trigger an end to all of us, is truly dangerous. So Milley has also brought about, he's also received a lot of condemnation uh, because he did appear to support Trump's politicization of the military because he was the general that accompanied Trump on that photo op at St. John's Church um, just minutes after the police cleared the area from Black Lives Matter. Milley did apologize later. Um, and he said that, quote, his presence created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics, end quote. Milley goes on to talk about the military's political neutrality, and he goes on to say, quote, we've established a very long 240-year tradition of an apolitical military that does not get involved in domestic politics, end quote. And this is General Milley telling NPR this past October. He also went on to say, quote, we, the U.S. military, we are sworn to obey the lawful orders of our civilian leadership, and we want to ensure there is always civilian leadership, civilian control of the military, and we will obey the lawful orders of civilian control of the military, end quote. And that emphasis on lawful orders, because what Trump wanted to do was not a lawful order. Okay. From the AP, we got some information about some of these protesters, contrary to what Mo Brooks and Senator Ron Johnson say, this was not a tourist event. And according to the Associated Press in a story that ran really a week afterwards, January 11th, 2020, the headline is, who were they records revealed Trump fans who stormed Capitol stories written by Michael Biesecker, Michael Kunzelman, Jill, Jillian Flackus, and Jill Mustian. And it goes on to out some of these people. And they go on to say that this mob that showed up was overwhelmingly, quote, made of lo- made up of longtime Trump supporters, including Republican Party officials, GOP political donors, far-right militants, white supremacists, off-duty police, members of the military, and adherents of the QAnon myth. Okay end quote. They go on to say, quote, records show that some were heavily armed and included convicted criminals, end quote. This was based on social media. The Associated Press reviewed social media posts, voter registrations, court files, and a whole host of other public records for over 120 people that are, that are facing criminal charges, uh, you know, related to the January 6th insurrection. And this proves the lie by Fox and Tucker Carlson and GOP officials like Matt Gates and Mo Brooks and Ron Johnson, that this violence was left-wing Antifa. It wasn't, there was no evidence of Antifa uh, and it wasn't a tourist group. These were criminals and they were strictly the GOP of Trump, nothing else. Um, So, you know, once again, the FBI assistant director, as reported by the AP, said there was no indication of any Antifa activists present. This was Stephen Dantuno, who is the assistant, was the assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington field office. He said there was, quote, no indication that Antifa activists were disguised as Trump supporters in the riot, end quote. Okay. And the AP found that a lot of the rioters they took to social media, this is based on their own reports, the rioters themselves. Many of the rioters openly threatened violence against Democrats and Republicans that they thought were not sufficiently loyal to Trump. They bragged about what they had done, uh, and it goes on. So Trump criminals as of January 6th. You've got Lonnie Leroy Kaufman. He's 70s from Alabama. He packed his truck with an M4 assault rifle, multiple loaded magazines, three handguns, and 11 mason jars filled with homemade napalm. And, you know, napalm is basically this chemical that creates constant fire. It, it's truly evil. Um, and he was arrested when he returned to his truck. Um, and federal officials said that he's not suspected of planting pipe bombs, but he was charged with having Molotov cocktails as well in the bed of his truck. You've got Cleveland Grover, Meredith Jr. facing federal charges. Um and in his own words, quote, headed to D.C. with a there's a I'm thinking it's saying shit ton of 5.56 armor, piercing ammo. Um, that was the day of January 6th. The next day he texted thinking about heading over to Pelosi's speech and putting a bullet in her noggin on live TV. End quote. OK, he also said uh, he also wrote, quote, I'm going to run that. C word, Pelosi over while she chews on her gums. Dead bee walking. I predict that within 12 days, many in our country will die. Okay. So this is an example of some of what what went on here. There were Proud Boys. There was a Army Captain Emily Rainey uh, connected to Fort Bragg. Okay. She is a 30-year-old psychological operations officer. And uh, she said she led 100 members of Moore County Citizens for Freedom, traveling D.C. to stand against election Trump rod, support Trump. She said she acted with an Army regulations, yada, yada, yada. Um, there's retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Larry Grendel Brock Jr. was charged in federal court. He was identified in photos showing him standing in the well of the Senate. He had a military-style helmet and body armor. He had uh, zip-tie handcuffs. They had Proud Boys. Um, Proud Boy leader, uh, Enrique Terrio was there, uh, and it goes on. Okay. We don't have time to go through all of it, but this is, we also have the Fraternal Order of Police Philly Lodge, President John McNesby, who made excuses for, um, Detective Jennifer Goober, who was there. We can go on and on, but you get the idea. Derek Evans, was who was, was a GOP delegate to the West Virginia House of Representatives, recently sworn in, um, was arrested on two charges related to the riot. He streamed a video of himself charging to the building with the mob, quote, they're making an announcement now saying if Pence betrays us, you better get your mind right because we're storming the building. This is Evans in the video. Um, the door is cracked. We're in. We're in. Evans is in the Capitol, end quote. So, this is what's happening. So, I'm going to just go into my conclusion now because you've got, again, this perfect storm of all these conditions happening that are setting the stage for further violent insurrection. And I really believe Donald Trump intends to come back as the Fuhrer. I'm not kidding. And this really then deals with not only the GOP that has embraced neo Nazis, the American. The GOP has become the American Nazi Party, let's be honest here. But it also deals with the extreme power that every president has had that they shouldn't have. So in conclusion, because we've got to protect ourselves, and Donald Trump wouldn't have been so dangerous if the presidency didn't have so much power, including sole control of the nuclear codes with no checks on it. No president should be above the law. For too long, we have allowed U.S. presidents to become a form of elected monarch, fully armed with enough power to destroy the planet a 100 times over since they alone control the nuclear codes. And that was before Donald Trump. Past presidents have had their vices, but they've had enough sanity to avoid nuclear war. Past presidents have listened to medical doctors and heeded their advice when it came to the possibility of a deadly pandemic. Past presidents knew the dangers of racists and neo-Nazis in the USA. Even if they they sympathized with them, they also knew they couldn't let that level of rabid mob get out of control. Past presidents knew that a death of over a half a million Americans Due to this, due to any pandemic, was political suicide. Then came Donald Trump and his acolyte death cult. If there was ever an argument to strip the presidency of these extreme monarchical powers, Donald Trump's it. Over many decades, presidents from both parties have stolen power bit by bit, which wasn't rightfully the domain of the executive. They've done so by using legal trickery and deceit, basically semantic. Hair splitting while ignoring the actual principles of true justice. They've done that in conjunction with a U.S. Congress that enabled them, refused to do their duty, both parties. They were too cowardly. So this is what's happening. And and so now they've ignored the actual principles of true justice, as I said before. So now we have a time-limited elected monarch. Donald Trump, in my opinion, seeks to end that time limit, and he would do so with treasonous violence, and that's where the GOP comes in, especially moral cowards like Roy Blunt, who have quite a bit of power, actually. The GOP has proven to be the party of the rising American Nazi movement. The Democratic Party has proven to be the witless and spineless enablers of these Nazis, as they refuse to fight, especially blue-dog corporate Democrats. No investigative commission or meaningful prosecution can happen until the procedural filibuster is abolished, period. We're getting back to the events of January 6th. The sheer fact that the January 6th commission vote that would have passed by simple majority was derailed by the procedural filibusters. All the evidence we need to end this racism enabling instrument. So while President Biden gave a lovely speech this past week calling out the Nazism of the GOP, he failed to demand an end to the filibuster. Now here's the real real problem. The filibuster could be set aside tomorrow. We don't need the GOP to do that. And we don't need Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema or any other blue dogs to accomplish this goal. We've talked about this before on the program, the filibuster, the procedural filibuster could be set aside tomorrow if president Biden ordered vice president Kamala Harris to do her duty as presiding officer of the Senate and declare the procedural filibuster unconstitutional since it denies equal representation. Then President Biden needs to use his political capital and use the political stick instead of carrots on Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, and other blue dogs by calling them out as enablers of this GOP, which openly embraces and welcomes Nazis that are bent on destroying democratic rule. Senator Schumer, as majority leader, can then strip, can also use the stick. He can strip Senator Joe Manchin of his committee chair position and make an example of him. We just don't have time for the civility of affluent white men. This is not the GOP of the 70s. This is not the GOP of Eisenhower. It's not even the GOP of Nixon or George W. Bush, even though they contributed to this evil outcome. And President Biden is making a dire mistake by underestimating these people. This is the GOP that has enabled the rise of the American Nazi party. They are the same. The GOP of Trump is the American Nazi party. Now, if ever there was a time to pursue the truth about January 6th, it's now. And that means the entire truth, not just the people that committed the violent acts, but the representatives, the US representatives, the US senators, The GOP donors, Trump himself, any members of his family, any neighbors, Stephen Miller, any of them that aided and abetted, they must face full criminal investigation followed by criminal prosecution and, yes, incarceration. If we don't do that, you can bet there will be more violence sponsored by the American Nazi Party, otherwise known as the GOP of Trump. And that's my report.
0: And that was Janine Maloff with The Justice Report. Thank you so much for listening to PNN. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.